Now to a reading of a psalm. Let's turn to Psalm 87. Psalm 87. And may the Lord bless this short psalm to us. Before we read it, for your help, let me divide it into three parts. And they are separated by the word selah which is to stop and consider. The first three verses form a part. The next three verses, four through six, form a part. And verse seven forms a part. There is a sila at the end of verse three and a sila at the end of verse six. The psalm's theme is one overall, and that's why there is no division provided for you that have those superscripts above your psalms. The theme is Zion. The theme is the church of God. The theme is the new Jerusalem in which we worship this morning through this assembly of it. It's the church. It's the kingdom of God. It's Zion. Remember, Paul would write in Hebrews chapter 12 that now we are coming to a different Zion and a different Jerusalem, a heavenly version of the earthly one that's in heaven. It's the only one that counts. The earthly Jerusalem, God rejected through Jesus Christ at the end of his ministry, and it is still rejected, and it will always be rejected. The Jerusalem that counts is the Jerusalem which is above, which is the mother of us all, Jews and Gentiles. According to Galatians chapter 4 and the lengthy analogy and metaphor that is made there, where it teaches that the Jerusalem that is on earth is to be compared to Hagar and her son Ishmael, which are rejected by God, and we, like the freeborn son Isaac, are received by God. Psalm 87. The first three verses are very simple, and they're similar to Psalm 48, in that they lift up the mountains of Zion and the city and temple that was built there for the worship of God, and then it ends with a selah. At the end, the worship of God should and will include singers rejoicing in God's great goodness toward them, and it ends with wonderful words describing all my delights and the source of all my pleasure are in Jerusalem. But in the middle, in the middle, my brethren, are you and me, one man at a time. It is going to refer to one man collectively for many men, but one man at a time, and it's going to repeat it three times in three verses for your comfort and our excitement together. In verse 4, it's going to say this man. In verse 5, it's going to say this and that man. Now, that's more than one man. That's a demonstrative adjective indicating a man close by and a man farther away. This and that man. And verse 6, that's this man was born there. A wonderful privilege and a wonderful blessing because the Lord's going to bring Gentiles into His church. And it is an astounding thing. And the Lord is going to write them along with His people Israel in the written record of the members of Zion. When the census is taken, the Lord's going to take it and He's going to write our names right alongside the others. And today we're going to consider a certain woman Not just any woman, but a certain woman named Lydia, and a jailer, and a young man named Timotheus, and Lucas, and Silas, and Paul. We're blessed with them. Let's rise together and read these seven verses 
in unison to the glory of God and the comfort and instruction of our souls as we read about Zion, which is above the heavenly Jerusalem, and that we've been made members of it, written down by the Lord when he counted up his people together. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God, Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This man was born there. And of Zion it shall be said, This and that man was born in her. And the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. Selah. As well the singers as the players on instruments shall be there. All my springs are in thee. Amen and amen. amen. You may be seated. This is an abrupt psalm, and it gives commentators difficulties. However, we, not, we need not be intimidated by it. His foundation is in the holy mountains. That is a personal, singular, male pronoun referring to not an antecedent that came before, but the, ones that will, the one that will follow after the Lord. God's foundation is in the holy mountains. The place that He has chosen and where He placed His foundation is, was in the holy mountains of Moriah and Zion. There were other mountains because Jerusalem, as it grew in size, encompassed seven mountains comparable to Rome, that is the city built on seven hills, but primarily they were two mountains, Zion and Moriah. His foundation is in the holy mountains. Now these just weren't ordinary mountains and they weren't valued just because they were high. They were valued because they were holy and they were holy because God had consecrated them to His glory. That's where He wanted to be worshipped and that's where He placed His foundation. And even today, we would say that the foundation of the church is made up of the apostles, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. His foundation is in the holy mountains. There was a literal sense to these words that any Israelite that read the psalm or heard the psalm, sung or, or read, would understand about the mountains of Zion. But we're, we're understanding that there is another mountain and it's in heaven and it's a spiritual mountain and there's a spiritual city there and it's the spirits of just men made perfect and an innumerable company of angels and it's the church, the overall, universal, elect church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 2 tells us the Lord, that is the Lord Jehovah, loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Now Jacob is just a name put for Israel, and though Israel had many thousands of cities and villages, 
And though all of them were part of God's chosen people and chosen place and what's called the Holy Land, yet there was only one that was special to Him for His worship, and that was Jerusalem, also known as Zion, because it was built on Mount Zion. It was the fortress of Zion. The city was a military fortress turned into a city for the Jews after they took it from the Jebusites under David and Joab. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. The temple that was there, the worship that was there, the city where he put his name in worship was more important to him than anywhere else. And we are not even talking about the rest of the world. We are talking about his chosen nation that he discriminated within it for a particular place that he loved most of all. Verse 3, glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God. For this reason and others, it's likely that David didn't write this psalm unless he wrote it in prophecy for what was to come later. Because of the, the mention of Babylon and some things that follow there, cities that were not strong or known in David's time, and the fact that glorious things are spoken of thee. Not much happened in Jerusalem in, Jerus- in David's day, because it was during his reign that he actually captured the city. It hadn't become a great city known for great events. I mean, it was King Hezekiah that laid out the words of Sennacherib and Rabshake of the Assyrians, and 185,000 died in one night besieging that city. Now that's a glorious thing spoken in the Word of God about the city of Jerusalem and many other things. But the greatest day of glory for the city of Jerusalem, literally considered, was when the Lord Jesus Christ entered its temple. Remember Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9? All the silver and all the gold is mine. You men that are weeping at the foundation of this pitiful second temple being built in Jerusalem, don't weep. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. When you've got the words latter and former used, there's only two houses. There's only two temples ever to be built in earthly Jerusalem. They have both been built, and the second was destroyed 2,000 years ago by the Romans. And in that latter temple, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared, called in Haggai chapter 2, the desire of all nations. You mean nations like Babylon, Egypt, Ethiopia, Tyre, and Philistia? Is that what you mean? The desire of all nations would come, and in this place shall I make peace, saith the Lord of hosts. That's in the second temple. That's in the gospel era. That is in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorious things of thee are spoken. And now the glorious things that are spoken of Jerusalem far exceed anything that was ever said of the Jerusalem on earth. Jesus Christ sits forever, the son of David, at the right hand of God on the throne of David, ruling over the kingdom of God at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now we come to these middle verses. Selah, stop with that wonderful consideration of the location and the consecration of Jerusalem and Zion by the word and choice of the Lord. I will make mention of Rahab. This is not the woman at all. You should be able to understand that. We should be able to understand that by looking and seeing these are places. These are nations 
that are being dealt with, not individual persons. Right here in the first half of this fourth verse, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Now Babylon was one huge empire that resisted Israel and was a great enemy to them and actually took them captive for 70 years. To be compared to Babylon, there's only really one other nation that it could be, and that's Egypt. Egypt was the great enemy that took them captive. They were there for 215 years. Now can we prove that it's Egypt? And if you want a cross-reference to put in your Bibles, you can prove that it's Egypt. It's Isaiah 51 and verse 9, if you want it there beside Psalm 87 and verse 4. Isaiah 51 and verse 9. These words that come to us from other languages, we need to remember and compare Scripture so that we identify them correctly. Isaiah 51 and verse 9, Awake! Awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Now, what event do you think is described in verse 10? Is it simple enough for you to see the Red Sea divided so that the ransomed people of the Lord pass through it? And Rahab, obviously, the Lord didn't cut her. The Lord put her in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're thinking of the woman. It's a synonym in the Bible for Egypt. So back to Psalm 87. We compare Scripture with Scripture to discover these things, especially looking at that fourth verse and knowing that a person is not being described because these five names represent, the other four represent enemies of the church of God. I will make mention, the psalmist speaking on behalf of God and for himself is going to make mention and start bringing in names of other places to those that know me, my brethren, my fellow worshipers. The church of God is broader and wider than Israel. And you better be thankful for that. And we're going to see it fulfilled today. What is the great mystery of godliness? Preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world. I will make mention of Rahab or Egypt and Babylon to them that know me. My brethren, I'm going to explain to them Egypt and Babylon are going to be involved. Behold, Philistia, what an enemy of Israel. Where did... Philip, the evangelist, end up preaching after he baptized the eunuch? In Azotus. You should go home and find out what nation Azotus was part of. Since I just said the word Philistia, I'm probably giving myself away, but still the challenge remains for you. And Tyre with Ethiopia. This man was born there. This man, out of these places, my brethren, I'm going to tell you, there's more than just the Jews. And of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. Selah. Looking past the literal mountains of Zion, Moriah and Zion, 
there in the Middle East, looking past it and looking to the New Testament, were able to see a grander, fuller, more complete fulfillment of this psalm in those nations being gathered in. Throughout Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the Minor Prophets, you see the nations being converted and added to the church. In fact, I've already mentioned to you the desire of all nations. And as soon as the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven, He told His apostles to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, and then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. And this man was born there in Zion. We're born again. We're made a member of the heavenly family. We are made citizens and fellow citizens with the saints, though we never were by nature. Selah. The repetition over and over. The singular collective noun, this man, explained partially in verse 5 by this and that man. And the psalmist beginning by saying, I'm going to make mention of these other enemies that we have had, that this man was born in our city. This man has citizenship equal to us. And that man has citizenship equal to us. So that when we come to Acts chapter 16, and we run into a certain woman named Lydia of the city of Thyatira, but doing business in Philippi of Macedonia, she's one of the lords. And she's brought right in equal to the Apostle Paul. And then a jailer in that city of Philippi. And oh Lord, we're thankful. And so we end with another Selah. Glorious things about this city of Zion. And what we have seven added on. The seventh verse is just added on there as well. Not only this man and that man and all these nations brought in and Jerusalem made the glory of the earth and glorious things are spoken of it as it takes in the nations and becomes truly magnificent rather than the little city that it was. As well, the singers as the players on instruments shall be there. There's going to be rejoicing and celebration And it should be a place of great mirth given to the Lord and of great praise and of great worship. And then the psalmist ends abruptly as he began, all my springs are in thee. Springs in the Bible were a very blessed thing in a dry, parched Middle East land. And a spring was a metaphor for the source and supply of God's blessings. All my springs are in thee. One thing... David said, have I the desire to the Lord? And that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. All my springs are in Thee. Let us be so thankful that the gospel went across the Aegean Sea into Europe and has made its way to us. And the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ has made us fellow citizens with the saints of old, And the new Jerusalem, which is above and is the mother of us all, is our place of citizenship and will soon be our place of eternal dwelling. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts.